Jesus Christ, our living hope. Well, good to have you today. Glad to have you in our worship service today. We're glad that you're here visiting or worshiping on a regular basis. Either one's good. But um, I don't know if you smelled some of the gas smell. Any of you smell the gas smell? Okay, some of you do. What happened is uh, about 6.30 this morning, somebody pulled up next to our utility van and punctured a hole into the gas tank to steal all of our gas. And uh, Steve Flanyak happened to step outside to get a breather today, and when he did, he saw that guy doing that, and that guy took off. And then all the gas kind of went on the ground there, and we put some stuff over it and treated it, but uh, that's how the smell got into the facility. So people are rotten today, and that's why we don't park the vans, uh, the buses back there anymore either because of the fact that uh, we've had every catalytic converter stolen on them. It's just unbelievable what, what you deal with sometimes when you deal with a, a large facility like that. But I didn't come to talk about that today. I just wanted to let you know that. Okay, so let's stand together. We're going to read God's Word, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 18 to 27. We're just going through the book of Mark, verse by verse. And uh, what a wonderful series this has been in my heart. I've entitled the message today, Fools Rush In. Fools rush in. Mark 12, verse 18. Follow along now as I read. Some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no children. The second one married her and died, leaving behind no children, and the third likewise. And so all the seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. You may be seated. Today's mistakes are tomorrow's wisdom. Life is not about going straight up. You are going to make mistakes. The key is, are you going to learn from your mistakes? Or are you going to be a fool? But to learn from your mistakes is important. Failures are important in your life. Failures are important in your life. Because wisdom is made from all the dumb things you did yesterday. Fifty years ago, the Bengals were playing the Raiders. A guy named Bob Trumpy was a tight end for the Bengals. And he kept making a mistake. He didn't know where to line up on the right side or the left side of the offense. And so there was many times the quarterback would see him on the wrong side and he'd say, Trumpy, uh, and he knew he was on the wrong side. So he'd go over and 
shift over to the left or to the right, whatever the play was. And that was while he was in the middle of the hike. While he, when he did that one time against the Raiders, five of the Raiders shifted over to Trumpy and they all got knocked down like the Three Stooges. The quarterback, immediately realizing what was going on, hiked the ball, pitched it out to Trumpy, and he ran for a 45-yard gain off of his mistake. Bill Walsh was the offensive coordinator for the Bengals. He watched that play and he thought about it for a long time. The next year he became the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers and he created a new play in football called the West Coast Offense. To move your offensive players before the ball is snapped so that indeed you can throw off the defense. Turned out to be very effective for Bill, Wal uh, Bill Walsh. From 1981 to 1989, he won four Super Bowl championships for the San Francisco 49ers. He learned from his mistakes and the mistakes that were made by his players. Now I'm talking to you about some mistakes that these Sadducees had made. I found four in the text. That's why I outlined it around four mistakes that you don't ever want to make. But what you want to remember as I tell you about these mistakes is in the background, the disciples are listening to Jesus and all these interchanges. And what he's going to do is he's hoping they will hear the mistakes they're making so that disciples ultimately don't make those mistakes. And if you're a follower of Christ, you want to be careful that you never make these mistakes because these mistakes will be deadly in your life. Matter of fact, it sent these Sadducees to hell. And so it's an important thing to note as we get into the text today. So I've outlined it around this. When dealing with Jesus, there are four mistakes you never want to make. Okay, let me give them to you today, and maybe you'll learn from them as you come to the Word of God. Number one, don't be a fool by attempting to fool God. Don't be a fool by attempting to fool God. Sometimes we think we can fool God, and in the end you become the fool. That's a good thing to learn. And these Sadducees did not learn this too well. The Sadducees are wave two. Remember, the Sanhedrin had got together and sent three waves to defeat Jesus. The first wave was the Pharisees. Get them to say publicly in front of everybody, don't pay your taxes. That failed miserably, and he never outright said, don't pay your taxes. We talked about that last week. And by the way, some of you sent me some good emails asking me questions. One was, this is a little aside here, but I wanted to say it. Why, the question was, why pay your taxes when they will be used for abortion? That's a good question. The truth is, you are responsible to pay your taxes. You're not responsible for what the government does with your taxes. And even though we don't support abortion, we are not responsible before God for what the government does with that money. Now, do they do evil things? Yes, wicked governments do evil things. But the truth of the matter is, you're to pay your taxes, even if it's to a wicked or an unrighteous government, and they have abortion, or they crucify your Savior. It doesn't matter. And so that's a good question to think about, and the one thing you have, the alternative you have, is to vote. That's one of the privileges you have in this country, is to put someone in office that has biblical values, as best you know how to evaluate them, do they hold the truth of God's word, and that's the kind of candidate you want to put in there. Now, I realize politicians can do so much, they can only do so much in changing a culture, but they do have some impact, and that's why we want to put 
men and women into office that want to run in politics. We want to help them get there if they're consistent with our values. So I just want to say that as a side, so I get some good questions in the week that maybe I didn't address directly in the message, and that's a good one. So that was wave one last week. Wave two is, here come the Sadducees. Now, who are the Sadducees? They are the fathers of the prominent, wealthy Jewish families in Jerusalem, many of whom are on the Sanhedrin Supreme Court. So they're the rich guys that are on the court in Jerusalem. They run the show, and so that's why they're so important in this story. They're not mentioned much in the Bible, but they are mentioned enough. Prominent, wealthy Jewish families. Here's their plan. They got a different wave. Now, this, this story really doesn't make sense to us. When I read it, I was like, how does that trick Jesus at all? Well, you have to understand their culture, so I'm going to try to help you out on this. Here's their plan. They're going to make Jesus appear stupid. This is what some people will try to do with you. They will try to make you look stupid based upon what you believe in the Word of God. And they will make every effort to do that. And so their plan is, Jesus is a fool because he affirms the resurrection. Let's trap him in a logical absurdity of the resurrection. So the people see him as a fool who can't handle the Scriptures, and the people will stop following Jesus, and he'll lose all credibility. That's their goal, to make him look like a fool because he believes in the resurrection. So they come up with this absurd, uh, hypothetical situation to trap him. How are you going to answer this one? Which, whose wife will she be in heaven of the seven guys that died before her? So it is a question that would make a lot of sense to them back then, maybe not so much to us. Now let me give you a few facts about the Sadducees before I get in it. Number one, the Sadducees restricted the authority of Scripture to the Torah. That is the first five books of the Bible. They only believed the first five books of the Bible are inspired. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They only believe those five books are inspired. Now that was a, listen to this, that was a new wave belief in those days because for 1,400 years, all Jews, all leaders of the Jews, believed that it was inspired from Genesis to Malachi. Okay, they believed the Bible. But this group came along in the first century and started challenging that. And they said, we only believe in the first five books. You say, well, how did they get so prominent? They're rich. They propagated their views all over Jerusalem and became effective. All right, so... They said there is no resurrection from the dead in the first five books, and therefore Jesus is in a trap. Okay, number two, the second thing I want you to learn about the Sadducees is they don't believe in immaterial beings. They don't believe in angels, and they don't believe in demons. Now, what are the two implications of these two teachings about the Sadducees? I want you to kind of see where I'm going to go with this, and I want you to understand some where I'm going to be going. Um, first of all, if you don't believe in a resurrection, okay, which it says right there in the Bible, the question then is, what happens to you when you die? And so what they believed is, if you don't believe in a resurrection, then there is no hell, there is no heaven, there is no afterlife, there is no judgment, and when you physically die, you just stop existing. When your body dies, your spirit dies, and you stop existing. You say, well, the Bible says you live on eternally. What they taught in that day was you live on eternally through your children and your descendants. Now, this doctrine 
has propped up today again. We call it today a nihilism. And people will tell you, preachers will tell you in pulpits that there is no hell. You just kind of burn out of existence. You pay for your sin and then you're gone. And your spirit and your body are gone forever. And then your children carry on your line. That is very common today. You might have heard it in some old songs. I thought I'd play one because I fear, that I don't fear, but I know many of you probably know the words. Go ahead, play it. copyright privilege to do that you have to be over 30 seconds but if you're 29 seconds or less you don't have to pay any copyright so that was 29 seconds I would have gone longer <laughs> so I just wanted you to know that simple fact but 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 that song is so popular and so easy to sing so easy to sing he goes on to say imagine there's no religion just living for today now that development of thinking in the 60s developed then into some preachers that took that on as a personal agenda and used the Word of God to prove it, or tried to prove it. Rod Bell, Richard Rohr would be another one, telling people you just kind of burn out of existence. There is no hell. There is no hell. Would that be a great relief to know? And that's what a lot of people believe today because of leaders like that it's called the modern liberal progressive Christian movement. The modern liberal progressive Christian movement. One of the books they wrote was Sinners in the Hands, not of an angry God, which was written hundreds of years ago, but Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Another book was My Problem with the Bible. These are preachers that get in the pulpits like mine and teach that. Now add to that with the Sadducees. I want to say a little more about the Sadducees. Here's what they did that was so clever, which is what happens today. They pretended to be Pharisees out in public, but in private they believed differently. And so what they would do is they'd go into the rabbi pulpits in the synagogues and they would pretend to be a Pharisee and they would act like pastors, if you will, in Christian pulpits. But the truth is, they would slowly eke out their bad theology and change people over time. So they'd come in and they'd look like a good preacher. They'd look like they're giving you the truth. But over time, they'd start slipping in bad theology. And the next thing you know, your people weren't believing in hell. And I gave you a couple names because I just wanted you to know those have had a huge influence on some of evangelical circles. And so... It's, it, it's, uh, it was a very common thing back then, and it's a common thing today. They acknowledge the Word of God, but only parts of it. This is what you've got to understand about some preachers today, okay? Only parts of it. They love the Gospels. They love the Gospels. Love God, love others. That's all you've got to do. Just love God, love others. But they won't talk to you about the deeper parts of the Apostle Paul. They won't take you into the deeper strengths of teaching you the Scriptures, so what they do is they pit Scripture against Scripture. 
They try to take one scripture to disprove another. That's what they're doing with Jesus here. They're taking an obscure scripture in Deuteronomy and they're trying to pit it against Jesus' belief in the resurrection. And that is a very dangerous thing. And I want to say it right from my notes. When someone wants to use biblical truth to reject another biblical truth, it's time to run away from that person. Stop their podcast. Run, run, run. Because the truth of the matter is, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all Scripture interprets Scripture. That's why you've got to bring all Scriptures together to figure out the meaning of an ultimate text. And so it's a dangerous thing when you get away from that. And I want to warn you to that, because some are very good preachers. So they come to Jesus and say to him, hey, we've got a question for you, Jesus. And they take Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 and 6. We won't turn there, but it's the Levirate marriage. Levirate, you, that word doesn't make sense to you. It's just Hebrew for the brother marriage. If a brother ha- marries a woman and he dies and they have no children, it is the obligation of the next brother who's not married to marry her and give her seed where she could have an offspring so that her baby would inherit the dead father's inheritance rights. And if that man died, then the next brother in line was supposed to then marry this woman who still didn't have seed until she got a baby. And then there would be an inheritance rights from the dead brother of the land and the property that he would have owned by the time he died. All right, so that's kind of a little bit behind this brother marriage law. And so they come to Jesus, they say, hey, we got a question for you. And the question is to prove the silliness of the resurrection. They want to prove that the resurrection is silly because whose wife will this woman be in heaven? Or who will she be? Who will she be married to? That's that's kind of the question. So they they make up this hypothetical situation. They say, this guy died and this guy died this guy died. Now she's got seven husbands. Who's she going to be a wife to in heaven? Who's she going to be a wife to in heaven? That's the question, Jesus. She, she can't be all seven brothers' wives in heaven. Remind me of the, that uh, outdoor drama theater down in Snow Camp. Seven brides for seven brothers. That's what I thought of when I was studying this, but you really couldn't do an outdoor drama on this. Seven brides for one wife. You know, that one, or seven. Forget that. All right, anyways. The, okay, so the woman marries and her husband dies. And then it goes on and on like this for seven, and she has no child. And so she can't get inheritance rights for the, from the dead, for the dead father. And uh, so they create this absurd, hypothetical scenario. You can almost hear them scoffing. You've got to read into the t- uh, underneath the text to hear the scoffing and sarcasm. Like, oh, you believe in the resurrection? Well, then uh, what do you do with this one, Jesus? Figure out the riddle. That's kind of their spirit here. Who gets her as wife in heaven, Jesus? You believe in the resurrection. So what does Jesus do? He answers with a rebuke. Let's notice this. I want you to see this in verse um, 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken? You do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God. Now that's very important, very important statement. You are ignorant of two things. The Scriptures and the power of God. Don't go through your life and be ignorant of the Scriptures and the power of God. Some of you are not being healed right now, and you're wondering, 
God is able to heal me, isn't he? Yes, he is. Why is he not healing me? Those kind of questions, you have to come back and you have to convince yourself of two things. I know the word of God and I know the power of God. Whatever he does in my life, I know those two, two things. They're very, they're very important things. And Jesus is dealing with this situation, this hypothetical situation, and so he rebukes them. He says, he's basically saying to them, you are putting your ignorance on display because you are the fools. You do not know the scriptures and you are ignorant of his power. This leads me to number two. Don't be ignorant of the scriptures. Don't be ignorant of the scriptures. Understand how the Bible's put together and what it means and what it says by what it means. Don't be ignorant of that. It says, he says to them, you are mistaken. Let me just take that word for a minute because I want you to understand it. The word mistaken comes from a root word which comes off the word wandering star. You Sadducees are like a wandering star. We would say in our culture, a fallen star. Okay, so here is the galaxy moving in order and every star moves in its place and the earth and the planets move in their uh, hemisphere or they move in their solar system and as they move in their solar system, everything works in order. But every now and then you'll look up to the skies and you'll see a falling star. And you'll say, that's cool, look at that. Look, it's falling right now. You'll be, you'll be surprised by that. What that star has done is it's moved out of the order of the galaxy. It's falling out of place. That's the word here in the Greek. A wandering star to be cut loose from the order of the galaxy. Okay? So, Jesus is saying, what you're doing is you're leading yourself and others astray like a, a falling star. And you're causing them to mentally question their beliefs and they're being cut loose from the order of truth. That's what he's saying by a mistake you, you didn't hear that in just that word, but I'm just giving you... They're, you're, you're cutting them loose from the order of truth. You are ignorant of the Scriptures. You don't care about the Scriptures. You don't want to understand the Scriptures. You don't even study the Scriptures. You have no ability and no interest. And by the way, 100% of the errors you will make will be because you don't know the Scriptures. Strive to have a strong knowledge of the Word of God, lest you ever hear that rebuke. You are ignorant of the Scriptures. You want to know the Scriptures and understand them. Now, look what he says in his answer to him, verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, all right? <laughs> the first thing he just said right out, there's a resurrection, guys. You don't think there's a resurrection, but there is a resurrection. So there's his first answer about what the Bible teaches. There will be a resurrection. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. There's the second attack he puts on them. There are angels, pal. There are demons. Okay, that's what he's saying to the Sadducees. One, there's a resurrection, and there are angel beings. And those who go to that place will be like the angels. It won't be an angel. They'll be like the angels. Okay, you want to make sure you clarify that there. But when they rise from the dead, these two things will happen. Now, that's straightforward. Okay, that's straightforward about your eternity. Now, what do we know about angels? We know they don't marry or procreate. So let me just be straight with you up front here, okay? You won't either. You will not procreate or be married in heaven. Now, 
Just listen to me for a little bit here because I first want to teach you the truth. It may be hard to hear at some level because I, I know some of the questions that went off in my mind as I was studying this, so I thought they might go off in your mind. So I will have comments later about this, but let me say right now, when people rise from the dead, the whole earthly complex of sex, birth, reproduction, and nuclear family is no more. That's, it ceases to exist. I'll say it again because it's, it's overwhelming to think about. The whole earthly complex of sex, birth, reproduction, nuclear family ceases to exist in eternity. That's contrary to what the Mormons teach you. If you're a good Mormon, you'll have multiple wives in heaven. Contrary to the Islamic view, who teaches if you die a martyr for Muhammad, you have everlasting sex with 72 virgins. Both those are contrary to Scripture. So sex, birth, reproduction, marriage, nuclear family, it's all for this life, not the life to come. There's no sexual relations, there's no nuclear family, there's no exclusive relationships in heaven like that. Now, that may bum you out. Just hold on, okay? Just hold on. That may bum you out. I think, oh, we, we, we won't have that tight-knit family anymore. We won't have that. You know, we defend each other. Brothers defend their sisters, and that's going to be gone. And, and that, that sometimes you can kind of think that way as you're thinking through the Scriptures. But Jesus says, you will be like the angels. What does that mean, like the angels? You won't be an angel, but you'll be like the angels. It means you'll be glorious, you'll be eternal, you'll be heavenly but you will not reproduce. Now, I'll just say it this way now, okay? There will be no babies, and you will not die. There will be no babies, and you will not die. This side of heaven, so here's one application I want to make right on that, because that may sound a little heavy to you at first. I'm going to come back to it later, but this side of heaven, marriage is the best thing you got going. I wanted to marry the first girl I met in college, freshman year. My dad had one rule, you got to finish college before you get married. Well, that's, that's three more years on to 19, so I'm thinking, wow, that's a long time. And I'm thinking, that, that relationship went defunct over my freshman year. She ended up sneaking off with a guy to a revival service. How about that? She needed more than revival, let me tell you that right now. Man, when I found out her heart, it killed me. I didn't sleep. I never, I always sleep every night. I didn't sleep the whole night. Somebody betrayed me like that. Thank goodness my dad had a rule, you got to get to 22, okay? So then I started dating Bettina. Three years at the age of 22, boom, I got my degree and I got married the same time. You know why? Because marriage is such a wonderful great thing and god designed it for us to be complete to be one it's beautiful to think about i i don't understand that about the younger generation especially my children all of them did not want to be married at 22 i'm like get married get out of the home you know that's not right there but uh i would say they all want to wait none of them married at 22 or younger i was like what are you guys thinking marriage is the greatest thing you think that Xbox is going to be fun the rest of your life? You got to be kidding me. But honestly, they all married older than, they got married older than when I did. And I, I was always amazed at that because they just looked at everything quite differently than me. But, but I'm telling you, 
Don't sit around waiting for Jesus to come or play your Xbox. Get married. Pick someone. Just pick someone and get married, all right? That's, I mean, that's just the best advice I could give you because marriage is great. It's great. Now, you want to get the right one. I get that because I've been burned a few times. But you want to get the right one, but when you get that right one and you've seen the loyalty demonstrated you, man, do it, do it. Okay, that's, that's all the application I'm going to make there. Number three, don't be ignorant of the power of God. Don't be ignorant of the power of God. Verse 26, so he says to them, but regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. He heightens it there. You're not just a wandering star. You are greatly wandering away from your very destiny into hell. See, he's, he's heightening it here to say that when you doubt the power of God, you take another level away from God. You move yourself away from God in a stronger way when you doubt his power. So, he says, don't be ignorant of the power of God. If you knew the scriptures and knew the power of God, you'd know this. He quotes Exodus 3, 6 here. We don't need to turn back because he says everything there necessary. He says, to prove a future resurrection, Jesus goes back to the book they thought did not teach life after death. So they only believe in the first five books. He went to the second book to prove that there is a resurrection. There is life after dead. Death. He said, God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And he says in that verse in Exodus chapter 3, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. Now, what he's using there is not only the name for God, I am that I am, but he's also saying present tense. Now, when he said that in Exodus chapter 3, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for 700 years. But he is present tense, their God, at that very moment in time, 700 years later. Why? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. They're still alive. Yes, they died physically, but they are still alive. I am the God of them, present tense, because they're still alive today. Their lives are in the hand of the living one who will not let death end their personal existence, and therefore God says, I can keep my covenant to a guy who dies because he's still alive. And I will keep my covenant to him forever because he's still alive. That was the idea of the text there. So he answers the age-old question, if a man dies, shall he live again? Yes, he shall live again if he puts his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's his only hope. He's got to realize that he's putting all of his hope in a person called Jesus. And he's trusting him for the saving of his soul. That when he died on Calvary, he, he literally paid the price for his sin. And that if he would own that and say, man, you paid my price. You paid my sin, paid for my sin. God, I trust you as my Lord and Savior and trust nothing else. Doesn't trust his good works, doesn't trust he's a pretty good guy. He puts it all in that one event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He'll be saved. 
If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth man confesses unto God, and with the heart man believeth unto God for righteousness. So it's the heart, but then it goes to the mouth. That's, that's how a man comes into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he shall live again. To miss that is not just to be mistaken. It's to be greatly mistaken. You are wandering away from the power of God and how he will save you. They were ignorant. What were they ignorant of? They looked at this life and they did not see the hand of God. They did not see the power of God. They looked at God create something out of nothing like he told those Jewish leaders, I made something out of nothing, but they did not look at that and see the power of God in that. If I can create something out of nothing, if I can say light be, light was, then what big deal is it for me to do some things like this in heaven? If I can do these things on earth and speak it into existence, can I make greater things to come? So he's saying, if you knew the scriptures and you knew his power, you'd believe I can do anything with my power. You'd believe I could create anything, and it would be forever. One thing to realize about the kind of religion you have, you have a religion that is supernatural. You have a God that can do anything. It's beyond any other religion in the world. It is a supernatural God who is powerful, but they were blind, they were spiritually dead, and they limited God's power. God could even have sorted out their riddle, but he didn't sort out their riddle because there's no marriage in heaven. It's a non-issue. But your stubborn ignorance says, I won't believe in you. I won't believe in you. All right, that's number three. Number four, let me go on. Don't ever, and I added ever here because I think this is an important thing for you to understand. Don't ever be discouraged about your future. Don't ever be, you just listen to me and I don't know what was running through your mind. I know it was running through my mind when I studied it. So that's why I kind of had this point. Don't ever be discouraged about your future. In the next world, in the next world, no one dies and no one is born. Marriage is unnecessary. Marriage is unnecessary. It sounds sad, doesn't it? No babies. No babies, no intimacy, no, no isolated family that has your back, that loves you unconditionally. No, no isolated family that has your back. Well, let me teach you this, okay? Everything on earth is outdone in eternity. Anything you can imagine on earth is outdone in eternity. So, the way I like to say it, if there is a no spoken about eternity, there's something better. If there's no babies, there's something better. Now, you can't, you can't put in your mind, how could, what could be better than that? But if there's a no about your eternity, that means there's something better. It's important to get that in your heart because your imagination should start running. What could possibly go beyond that? Watch, let me just prove that to you. Okay, everything is outdone in eternity. Genesis 1 and 2, on earth. 
you're, they were born in a garden in the countryside. Okay? The tree of life. There were rivers, four rivers that ran into the uh, Garden of Eden. There was a sun. That's what was. And in that environment, it was perfect. Adam would get up every morning before he sinned, and he would say, it don't get no better than this. Every day he'd get up and say that. It don't get no better than this because it was perfect until he sinned. But before he sinned, he was in a perfect environment. That's Genesis 1 and 2, a perfect environment. Revelation 20 and 21, in eternity, it will be better. It will be better than anything they experienced in the garden or out of the garden. We don't even come close to what we will experience. It will be better. There's no sun in eternity. Jesus Christ is the sun. He is the light of heaven. There's no rivers of water. There are crystal seas and rivers of life. In eternity. And that, and that crystal sea is leading to, not the countryside like in the Genesis 1 and 2, it's leading to the city of God. It's a city. It's gone from a countryside to eternity of a city, and at the center of the city is the throne of God. Everything is outdone. He's just giving you a little picture there of heaven. Everything is outdone in eternity. We won't be this way forever. We will have a perfect form. I don't have time this morning to do this. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that right now you're a seed. Okay? And as a seed, you go into the ground and you die. And when you die in your resurrection, you come up like the oak tree. Now, somehow that oak tree is still related to that seed because that's where it got its start. Your body and your spirit are right now like a seed. You are all seeds. But you've got to go into the ground to have your resurrection. And when you have your resurrection, your form and your beauty and your attributes are going to be so multiplied in ways that you could never imagine when you were just a seed. Okay, I wish I could say more about that, but I'm going to run out of time. Think about it. There's going to be no sin, no exploitation of women, no human trafficking. Husbands and wives aren't going to insult each other in private times. Never insult each other. Never tear each other down. Never say you don't do enough. There's not going to be any of that. Sin will be banished from all relationship. But there will be no marriage. You say, what could be better than that? Okay, I had to go to Oswald Chambers on this because he says it a lot better than I do. He says this. This is good. In the next world, in the next world, my relationship to somebody I had hardly known in this world will be deeper, more blessed, more intimate, more fulfilling than anything I can experience in my marriage in this world. That's beautiful. She says a lot of things about heaven. So does Randy Alcorn if you want to get some ideas on that. But, but I'll say it again. In the next world, my relationship to somebody I hardly know in this world will be deeper, more blessed, more intimate, more fulfilling than anything I can experience in my marriage in this world. We will enjoy human fellowship, communion, that will be far richer than the best friendships we can experience now. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? How could it get any better than this? 
when we get to heaven and you find out you're not married, it won't bother you at all because every single relationship will be immediately deeper, more intimate, more joyful, and delightful as if you had known each other your whole life. And that's what you have strove for in this life. To know a person 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and your whole life is such a meaningful thing that no matter what you do, if you go 30, 40 years with somebody, you cannot replace that because now you're too old to go that much longer. And if you can't go that much longer, you can't get that close to someone else on this earth. But it doesn't matter how close you get to someone on this earth. It takes time, by the way. It takes years to build intimacy and trust and reputation and the ability to just be you. It takes years. But in heaven, it's immediate with everyone. Everyone. So that sink in. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. He goes on to say, you will worship in spirit and in truth. There will be completeness. See, right now to have completeness, I have to marry a woman because without a woman, I'm not complete. I've been made half complete. But a woman completes me on this earth, but not in heaven. In heaven, we will be complete within ourselves. But we will love everyone perfectly and equally forever. That's just beautiful to think about. Let's stop. Let's pray. Okay, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, praise team's going to come and close in this last song. And my prayer for you is if you are a member here at this church, that you are not ignorant of the scriptures and the power of God. Whatever he needs to do in your life, he can do it. And if he has not done it, it comes to a level of faith with you that you trust him to know, I know you can do it. And you're withholding for some reason, but I'm going to trust you with that. Do not be ignorant of the scriptures or the power of God. Now I just want to speak to one more group. I want everyone in this room to know this, but one specific group. There will be a resurrection for everyone in this room. Every one of you will be resurrected. The Bible speaks of two. I didn't talk about the other one. It's called the resurrection of the dead, the second death, the second death. Not only did you die the first time, but the Bible says then you're cast into a lake of fire. That's the second death. You have to die twice if you don't know Jesus Christ. That's an eerie thought. Forever, forever, I, I can't fathom it, but I got to teach it to you. You're either going to have a resurrection to the second death, or you're going to have a resurrection to eternal life. But it is fully your choice and your decision. And if you're here right now and you've not claimed the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have not repented of your sin and owned your sin and said, my sin deserves judgment. But Jesus, you died on a cross for me and paid the price for all of my sin. I believe it. I put my faith in you as my Savior and my Lord. Save me. It's a simple prayer, but it has to come from a heart 
a belief, a heart to say, that's what I want. I want you to be my Lord. Won't be easy. You'll enter into a new kind of battle, a battle with yourself to make him your Lord. But it will be a promising one because you got forever. So if you're here and you've never made that decision, I encourage you on the authority of God's word to receive Christ. And if you are struggling to understand or to make that decision, I'm making myself available right after this service in the front. Come, I want to I finalize that with you. I don't want to ask you to raise your hand right now. I just want to finalize that with you in person that you would say, I need to make that decision, Pastor Rob. Or if you know someone that could help you with that, but I'll be here at the front. If you know someone that could help you as well, take that and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do that. Father, I come before you right now at this hour and I thank you for your truth. Sometimes it's hard to understand and imagine. We're taking yet your word. Thank that you're taking care of these issues in our soul that we could rest. Just rest in you. Father, I lift up this church now. I lift up this people under the sound of my voice. May your spirit go forth and speak. May your will be done in their lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to come and lead us now. And as they sing a song, let me just mention... The altar's open. If you'd like to come, if there's something on your heart, you come. You can have someone come and pray with you as well. We usually try to do that now. And so if you need someone to pray, they'll come alongside you when they see you at the front. But you come if there's a need this morning. Let's sing.